G'day everybody, welcome along. It is the VO2 podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and power transmission products and services. And on this podcast, we are wheeling out a classic car podcast and we're going to take a look back at the Peter Brockmark Scape Holden Racing Team Commodore from Bathurst 1997. Last time at Mount Panorama for Peter Brock, nine times winner. He wants to go out with number 10. Green light, they're away. Brock gets away to a break. Oh, sideways. Sideways. Perkins has got the downside run, but Peter Brock will take it through the first corner. And listen to the crowd roar. It's Peter Brock leading the Primus 1000 Classic as they cross the line for the first time. Mark Scape at the wheel of 05. He's done a tremendous job throughout the week. He's got a problem. He's got a problem. I just thought he had a drama there. He's slowing down. Peter Brock, your feelings at this time? Well, uh, that's motor racing. I mean, we had a magnificent run thus far. It's just running absolutely beautifully. And uh, I guess that if you've looked at one perspective, well, the fans were uh, treated to something there for a couple, for an hour or two, you know. The moment you've all been waiting for, folks. Please welcome Peter Brock! Oh, that brings back a bit of V8 supercar memory for those who were at the mountain in the late 90s and following the the rise of the category uh, at an amazing time. Will Dale is with me. Hello, fine sir. Welcome back to the pod. Thank you. It's a lovely morning here in Melbourne looking from inside to outside. Don't jinx it because we need all the good weather that we can get. Hey, it's not just you and me today, though, uh, who are going mm. to be lyrical about this uh, important car in V8 supercar history, but... Uh, We've got on the line, uh, the great Ben Eggleston is with us here, the man who owns this car now, and it's uh, undergoing a pretty impressive restoration job at the moment. So, Ben, welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast. Uh, Where do we start with this car? I I guess we should start with what's happening with it now because there's there's been a lot of work going on while Super 2's been quiet and you haven't been out racing as much. Morning, gents. How are you all? We're good. We're good. I'm surprised you've got time to do this because there's there's heaps of restos going on at Eggleston Motorsport at the moment, including this car. Correct, mate. Correct. Yep. We've uh, we've used this lockdown, so to speak, uh, pretty wisely. And uh, yeah, this car is one of the special cars that we've uh, really been getting into as late, and uh, it's ticking along very nicely. And hopefully, um, <clears throat> hopefully, it will be finished and not uh, not too far away. But yeah, it's come along really well, and we've had a a lot of the componentry in the car and sort of had a full dummy fit on the car because clearly it hasn't been um, together for probably over 20 years now. So, uh, yep, it's all coming together really well and uh, we all can't wait to see when the car's finished. What point is it up to now, just for our listeners who are probably falling out of their uh, their cars or their chairs at the moment, wanting to get excited about when this car's going to be back on the track? Uh, at what point is it at to? Is it, has it been painted? Have you had to do body repairs? Have you had a a tough time finding all the parts or rebuilding the parts what's been what's been the process with all that well the car at the moment is uh the car's bare metal um george smith obviously the gentleman that built the car back in the day he's been doing a huge amount of work to it in the last couple of months on and off so uh the car's bare metal but it has had uh all the suspension running gear all that sort of stuff in the car basically to make sure that it was all as it needs to be. Um, <clears throat> we've sourced all the parts over the last couple of years. 
obviously when we purchased the car, it had a lot of the original parts with it, which was extremely handy. Um, so yeah, basically the car has been fully fitted out and is pretty much ready for paint. We're just finishing pulling some of the suspension stuff apart and uh, it'll go into paint in the next couple of weeks and then it'll have its final assembly um, in the next couple of months. And then uh, I envisage hopefully it'll be close towards the end of this year or early next year, it'll be um, out and about. So tell us a bit about what state the car was in when you purchased it, because the last time we all in the general public saw this car, it was um, definitely not quite VS Commodore shaped after Todd Kelly had a bit of a shunt with it at the start of the 1999 season. Correct. Yeah, the car was um, the car when I purchased it had been repaired um, to some extent. It had been repaired, but it still needed a lot of work to be done by someone like George Smith to to bring it back to life um, the way it needs to be. So basically, um, yeah, it needed a lot of work in that in that department uh, when we purchased it. Like I said, it did have a lot of the good original running gear on it. It has the original HRT engine in it from. Um, from the day um, and all other bits and pieces on it. So um, the actual car was um, was all there in a way. We just needed to get it back into shape uh, in bits and pieces, but clearly the car had a massive accident at Eastern Creek and uh, it needed a lot of TLC to bring it back to anywhere near what it looks now. These projects, Ben, are, are really big, big projects. And knowing you, you've always um, put a lot of energy and effort into accuracy and getting it exactly as it was with all the correct parts. What's been the biggest um, headache, I guess, in trying to put together a car from 20 plus years ago? What's the bit that's been the holy grail to find or the, the piece that you had to get made or replicate? Um, what's been the, the really tough part that's given you a lot of grief along the way? Because these things never go fully smoothly. Well, there's a couple of things. First off uh, is the Harrop remote shifter, which clearly um, they ran in these cars in chassis 33 and 34 is when they first came on the scene and they ran them in VT and a little bit further than that. So we had to get one of those uh, made, one of the original ones made. Ronnie Harrop was really good in, in helping us out with all that sort of stuff. Um, so all that sort of stuff, we're lucky to have the original engine with the car. So all those bits and pieces were there. The exhaust was a bit of a headache. Obviously, George Smith, was very good in um, in getting all that sort of stuff uh, sorted because there was really there's no template to go off or anything like that. So getting all that stuff sorted was a little bit difficult. Um, some of the wiring and bits and pieces obviously was a little bit little bit tricky. Um, but you know, all all in all, it's been super good. And and um, also all the, the oil tanks, oil cans, oil pots in the boot and stuff like that. All that stuff's been a little bit tricky, but we're very lucky that some of the other cars we have here had identical stuff in it. So I've been able to give George some some stuff and he's been able to duplicate that and um, and basically have some some original looking stuff, which is um, which is spot on. The car's, the car's going to be great. So when it comes to um, the finishing details with the livery, it's going back to 97? Correct. It'll be 97 as it sat on the grid on Sunday morning. Sweet. So what's involved in replicating that original livery? Is it a question of going through old photos and trying to work it out or have you contacted the original sign writers or what do you do? Yeah. Um, one of the lucky things is I've got a lot of the uh, paperwork and books from these cars and uh, it does have the paint codes in there to get the original paint correct. Um, and also Dougie from Sign Zone, he actually did the stickers on the car in the day. So um, he can supply a spray mask um, to go on the car and all those bits and pieces. So when it comes to basic line paint, we all know that it's absolutely perfect. So when stickers go on, they just go straight over the top and it should be all 
hundred percent correct. So it should be really cool. One of the things that's really interesting about this car, which I guess if we talk a bit more about its actual racing history, it's the sister car to the Craig Lowndes Bathurst winning car of 1996. That was chassis 33. This car is chassis 34. But it didn't have the very distinctive petty bar that the Lowndes car had. However, it originally did when it was built, but it was cut out. But that uh, the remnants of that are still visible on that car of yours, aren't they? Yeah, correct. So we've got photos, build photos of the car when it was uh, bare metal at George's, obviously. And, uh, yeah, absolutely, both cars had the petty bar in them. Um, obviously, uh, Chassis 33 caused plenty of plenty of controversy when it came out with that bar and uh, and basically the bar banned before the car could hit the circuit. So the bar was cut out and um, and George Smith um, machined up a couple of little plastic caps and uh, and they're still there to the day over where the actual stuff Arms were where the bat, so yep, you can still see where it was for sure. No temptation to sneak one in as part of the rest, though. <laughs> no, well, you know, it was not in only seven on Sunday morning, and uh, it wasn't there. So, absolutely, you can see from photos the little stubs are still there. So, um, that's exactly how it'll roll out. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. At the time, the new car builder at the Holden Racing Team was Tony Fredrickson, and he had a, a habit, Ben, of calling all the cars a different nickname. And they were all female names, and they all seemed to be around the same time as uh, professional tennis players. Now, uh, this car was called Steffi. Um, and speaking to Tony in more recent times for the HRT car history book we did a few years ago, I was, 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 I was of the thought that it was because of Steffi Graf, who of course the great uh, German tennis player who was a, a superstar of, of world tennis, but he sort of seemed to not really think that it was after Steffi Graf, but there was a video, I think of the build of this car that was in the telecast of Bathurst 96. And he said, we called it Steffi because it needed more grunt for Bathurst, but I don't remember her being the grunter of tennis. That was Monica Seles. So uh, I'm not quite sure um, the, the total original version of the story of how Steffi came to be named, but it was actually new for 1996 for the Sandown 500. And um, it had a little bit, not only was the bar cut out of it, but it got the front under tray trimmed as well because there was a parity adjustment just before uh, that 96 Sandown 500 and they chopped 125 mil out of the front spoilers basically because the HRT cars had been so dominant, but it, it didn't really slow them down at all, did it? Correct. I mean, the car rolled out and got a podium straight up at Sandown, third place um, with Thomas Mazira and Brock behind the wheel in 96, um, obviously in VR trim. And I've got a, a, front, uh, a VR front bar here that's actually got the trimmings on it and stuff like that as well. So a little bit of history there from uh, how it actually was in 96 as well. 97 uh, history shows that Peter Brock retired partway through the year, made the big announcement, and the rest of the year became a, a farewell tour. So that uh, that car, for all it did in late 96, which was only a handful of races, it's it's 97 season that is unquestionably the bit that's remembered most. And, uh, of course... Peter actually won the Barbagallo round in that car without winning a race, which was the unique part of the system of, of back in the day. But that was such a massive time. Obviously, it was the first year of Avesco, um, the Channel 10 deal, the war over Bathurst where there was two races. So Brock was part of 
being tugged backwards and forwards between the traditional race and the, the new V8 race. Uh, it was an interesting time in the sport and the Holden Racing team had come off a, a dominant year. Lowndes had left, but Brock and Murphy were, um, were still competitive, but they, uh, they didn't sweep all before them in 97. And had history gone the other way, though, very easily we could be talking about a car that won both the endurance races in 97 and sent Brock out with his, with his 10th win. Absolutely. I mean, the car, clearly in 1997, the cars had plenty of pace with obviously Greg in one and, and Brock in the other one. And um, cars had plenty of pace, but obviously they had a few mechanical dramas along their way. And um, unfortunately, they didn't, you know, didn't finish every race or for what for what happened. But at the end of the day, yeah, the car was, was super fast all year. Brock did a great job. And then um, again, was on pole at Oran Park for Brock's last round. And then obviously, Sandown and Bathurst. So car clearly showed awesome pace, but then, you know, little bits and pieces of flat tire at Sandown. I think it was a broken throttle cable at um, Sandown and then Bathurst, obviously, with the engine drama. It's one of those things, like, you look at the timing of Brock's retirement. He still had a bit of that old magic up his sleeve to wheel out at various opportunities. I mean, he didn't win a race to win that Barbagallo round, but he had one earlier in the year at Simmons. And as you said, Benny, he was on pole at Oran Park. And history shows that he was an absolute gun at Oran Park throughout the back end of his career to the point that you look at the year that he raced there with Lowndes in 96 and Brock out qualified him and beat him in all three races. And that Oran Park round, he was also on track to win overall until he had a late drama in the final race. But of course, for the Enduros, HRT had a new guy come along who proved to be extraordinarily fast. And one of the things I just, I'd forgotten about until I was looking up the history of this car before, before we were chatting, this car was the first supercar to do a two minute nine around Mount Panorama in the warm up session for the 97 shootout with new driver Mark Scaife on board. Correct. Yeah. Obviously when Mark jumped in the car, he, um, he showed, Awesome speed, and especially at Bathurst, to do that time and put the car on pole, it was it was super cool. And it was a little bit of the changing of the guard, I think. Obviously, Mark coming in and taking over that car did a did a sensational job. And obviously, then it turned into um, turned into Mark's car in 1998 as well. So, absolutely. And the number was reversed, and a lot of people thought it was because Brock had been 05 that Scaife would become 50. But it, it was really because Holden was celebrating its 50th anniversary in 1998, 1948, 1998. So therefore the, the symmetry of the numbering kind of worked out and, and it became Scaife's car for the, the 98 championship season. I think he won a race uh, at Phillip Island. He was on the podium a few times. He had a, a pole at Calder, um, but he, he was, he was having a shocking run with getting it off the line. I remember that year that uh, he would qualify really well, but then he'd have to fight through the races because he was um, getting caught off the line and getting jumped, and, and that made things tricky. But um, great history. Any race car that's got the name HRT, Brock, Scaife, don't forget Thomas Mazira co-drove with Brock too in, in 96 in it, uh, connected to it is an instant classic. And although it's not a Bathurst winner or a championship winner, as far as valuable supercars go, sitting there complete um, right there in front of you when that's the case... It's a valuable, special, important car, and it's one that tugs the heartstrings because it was Brock's last... No, it wasn't his last Bathurst, but it was his last real Bathurst as a full-time contender who was capable of, of victory. And it's in the hearts of a lot of race fans as, as being that. And that late 97, I was at the Sandown 500. It was 
obviously wet on race day and the line out the the side street that leads into if you're familiar with melbourne um it's changed now because the level crossing's been modified on springvale road near the track to be now a, an under pass so as traffic can flow smoother as a part of what's going on here in melbourne getting rid of a lot of um level crossings and the line out of that short street that leads into the side car park traffic jam I thought we weren't going to get in, uh, my family and I. For, it was Brock's last sand down. It was his home patch. It was the place that obviously that day they named the front straight after him. And there he was out in front in the lead early on before the throttle cable had a drama. That period of his farewell, I don't think we'll see the likes of that ever again. I mean, it was big when Lowndes decided to stop racing full-time a couple of years ago. But nothing like when, when Brock pulled the pin. They packed out just about every track from when he made the announcement through the to, through to the rest of that year. So it was a, an unbelievably special time. So that further elevates a, a car like this. Yeah, correct. And I remember the Oran Park, one where basically, um, you know, Brock was going around with Bev in the back of the U and all that sort of stuff. And the crowd was just huge that day. You know, Oran Park lend itself. You could see all the crowd and stuff. It was absolutely massive that day. And then Sandown was huge. And Obviously, Bathurst was massive and they had that banner competition at the top of the hill, you know, who did the best banner and all that sort of stuff. I remember that. I was actually there at the track in 97 and it was super cool. And, um, yeah, it was just massive. It was just everyone wanted to see Brock uh, end in the best way and obviously go for that 10th win. And he was there for a while, you know, got a got a good start and off he went. And then, um, and then unfortunately, you know, one thing that's cool, you know, leading his first stint was cool, handing it over to Scaife and stuff like that. So I think he'd done a, done a good job and it's exactly what the crowd wanted to see. But unfortunately, it ended a little bit, a little bit early for, for everyone's liking. You look at how his retirement was executed and the timing of it, it was announced before Lakeside, the Lakeside round of the Touring Car Championship, which meant the final schedule of races for him with HRT that year went one in Queensland, one in WA, one in South Australia, Horn Park in New South Wales, then his last Victorian race at Sandown, and then Bathurst. You couldn't, you couldn't have orchestrated a better way to say goodbye to all the fans in all the different major states, with the exception of Tasmania. They nailed it. Like whether whether or not he retired a little too early, they did they did execute that very well. Well, he went a year too early because he he missed out the Northern Territory. In Valley didn't join the calendar until the following year. So if he was really committed to the task of saying goodbye to everybody. He would have hung on for one more year and, and made it up north of the Territory. But I, I think that the timing there was was perfect. He wasn't the uh, race-winning uh, dominant force that he'd once been, but he was still a fan favourite. He was still competitive. As Will said, Oren Park, he always lit up in those uh, 90s rounds with HRT. And remember, even with Advantage Racing, when that car wasn't the best car in the field, he was able to, to win a race there as well. So I think that when you look at um, Brock race cars, Bathurst winning cars will always be held in very high regard and also high values. But uh, in terms of where this one sits in the scheme of things, I think it's really important that it's, it's in the hearts and minds of people. And although it's not a, a winner, it is still a, a pole position car. It's the final one of his you know, full-time racing career as a, as a Bathurst car. Uh, where does it stack up for you both in terms of his, of his cars? Probably start with Ben. Ah, well, in our sort of thing, I think it's it's right up there. It's one of the cool cool cars in regards to it was it was basically when you know they just changed the the, the CAD design of that car and basically they they rolled out thirty three and thirty four and 
HRT had a big, big push with the cars to try and, you know, make them make them even better than what they were. And um, and the car was, you know, like you said, in the 1996 telecast, they actually had the um, the video of the car being made and all that, that little doco that they had. That was super cool. And, yeah, I, I think it's right up there definitely in our collection as, as one of the, the better Brock cars. Um, like you said, one of his um, last cars that he really drove in his, his full-time career and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's right up there, and uh, I think it's a cool car, and I can't wait to get it out when it's when it's all finished, and um, everyone can have a look at it going round and round. So for me, obviously, Brock's Bathurst winners are on a pedestal, probably over and above all other touring cars that he raced. But and this is probably showing my age here. I'm too young to really remember any of his Bathurst victories. So my first recollection of a Bathurst is '88, and probably my strongest memories of Brock are watching him in that twilight of his career, still being able to turn it on, seeing just how big, a, how this 97 year of seeing all the fans reacting to his retirement and him still being able to step up and, and get the job done. For me, that probably places it right behind all those Bathurst cars on a personal basis, just because this is the car that I probably have the strongest recollections of seeing Brock in. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment, but I wanted to quickly tell you about our good friends at Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now, you might know their name and you might recognise their logo, but did you know that Timken bearings are used in the centrepiece of one of the most stunning stadiums in the world of sport? The $2 billion, yes, billion dollar Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta features a retractable roof that is a work of incredible engineering. It features eight triangular roof panels, or petals as the designers call them, that slide open and close in the same way that a camera shutter does. Each petal weighs almost 500 metric tonnes and when the roof is closed, each petal cantilevers over 60 metres from the outer edge of the stadium. Now despite the weight, the size and the complexity of the design, the roof can be closed in just over seven minutes and opened in just over eight, with Timken's tapered roller bearings used to ensure each petal moves smoothly. The stadium's home to the Atlanta Falcons NFL team and the Atlanta United Major League Soccer team, and in 2019, it hosted the crown jewel of American football, the Super Bowl. We'll bring you more cool facts about Timken in each episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast through the course of the year. Now, it's back to the podcast. Man, he signed some autographs in the late part of that 97 season. He, I don't know how he held the steering wheel. He would have had RSI and that, that hand about to drop off because he was punching out autographs like you wouldn't believe. If he got a dollar for all of them, he would have been a very, very rich man just from that year alone. But uh, the thing with that car too is that its history flowed on. Obviously, Mark Scaife raced it in the 1998 championship. It did go back to Bathurst in 1998 for the Bathurst Media Day. Um, with Greg Murphy doing some driving and it tested with Murph, Mark Noski, who was his Bathurst co-driver and Todd Kelly. So Murph never raced that car, but he did drive it uh, in testing. And one of the really interesting names that I think a lot of people have overlooked that are connected with this car, and it just is one of those small one percenters. It's one of those golden nuggets that we love to unearth and um, make sure it's historically kept. But Scott Dixon, turned laps in this car. Of course, the 2008 Indy 500 winner, multiple IndyCar Series champion, the Iceman of IndyCar racing, who's become one of the, well, the greats of American open wheel racing in the last 20 years. Um, 
he drove it at a, a rookie test day after the Sandown 500 in 98 uh, with Todd Kelly and Christian Murchison, who at that stage was a, a Formula Ford kid. Um, so there's a totally unique element to that. And, and Ben, you've managed to acquire over time a lot of the old paperwork that relates to these HRT cars of the era, which is totally crucial because a lot of teams in the past have thrown away their historical records of things. So there's not that ability to have the validation of little things like that or little changes that they made or what was on the car at this race or what was the, the setup like on that day. Uh, you've got that paperwork that's absolute gold. Yeah, correct. And that, that was a big part with the cars as well. You could actually validate what the car was in regards to the spec of the car, what engine number was in the car, what gearbox number, all that stuff was a big part. Being able to bring the car back to um, back to life, you know, original and the right way and stuff like that. And yeah, you're right. It does have who's driven the car, test days, all the race events, all the track maps, handwritten track maps by Brock and all that sort of stuff, which is super cool, which I think adds a, adds a massive element to the actual car when it's finished that you can present that with the car and people can see what what the car actually was and, um, you know, you can see who drew drove it and it's, it's got the full history of it. And I think that's a massive, massive part of the car. With the engine side of things, is that the Bathurst 97 engine or is it one that it ran at a, another event somewhere over its life? No, it, it is the 97 engine that was in the car on Sunday. The car actually had, uh, looking at the books, it actually had a few dramas over that weekend. That was the third engine that went in that car over the weekend. Unfortunately, it had two other failures um, during the week and uh, that engine went in for the shootout and was in the car for the start of the race, and obviously it's the one that failed um, partway through. So once the car is completed and finished off, what's your plan for it? The plan definitely is to, um, you know, take it around and people can, um, can see it because obviously no one's seen this car for 20-plus for years. Um, so obviously we've got a few other cars as well in our stable that we want to take out and basically do a few, wouldn't call them test days, but track days where the car can have a run, stuff like that. Um, be great for Mark to drive the car, Mark Scaife to have a drive of the car. And, um, and the car can do some laps and, um, and basically just keep it alive, make sure the car has a run, you know, once or twice a year and you can go to some historic stuff and, um, and it can have a run and we can all enjoy it. And that's, that's why we do it. It's one of the great points too, that there's very different viewpoints from a lot of people for some a race car like this when it's finished and restored and it looks immaculate is to be left in a museum or parked up under a, a cover somewhere. Uh, other people would have a theory that is totally the opposite. Get it out there, use it, let us see it, let us hear it. Uh, which, which, how strong down the end of get it out and give it a run are you versus tuck it away and, and put it away and don't let it be seen. You're somewhere in the middle where, on special occasions, we'll see it. But otherwise, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a pretty significant investment. A lot of money's been spent and time on putting it back to its its 1997 specification and, and rebuilding it. Uh, where do you fit on the scale of 1 to 10 on leave it alone or get it out and give it a run? That's actually a good question. I get asked that a lot about a lot of the cars that we've got. Um, I'm, uh, I'm pretty much bang on the middle. And the reason why, I've always said that I want a couple of cars that will never, ever turn a wheel under our ownership on track after it's restored. One of those cars being Chassis 50, which clearly you've seen. And that car's immaculate, but that car will never see an actual circuit. It can go to displays and stuff like that, but it'll never be driven or raced under our ownership. 
2005 Bathurst car for those who are wondering. Correct. And then um, some of the cars, I don't mind them having having a run and basically, you know, can be driven at anywhere. The cars are all capable to be driven 90, 100%. But if the car can go to some events and be driven, I'd say once a year, maybe 50 to 80%, no problem. And there'll be some other cars that we might do a little bit more actual, some test days in. So we're lucky enough that we've got some cars and I've got them at all three stages. Some we use. Some that will be only very rarely used and other cars that will, won't be used at all. So um, with this car, I think it'll sit bang on in the middle. Um, the car can be used, definitely won't be driven um, often, I would call it. I would say once a year or very special occasions and um, it will be kept pristine the whole time. Yeah. What's actually involved in prepping a car like a supercar of the 90s era to go out and do a few laps? One thing about the cars they're very simple, which is one of the beautiful things we've found with working on these cars, going back, working on these with the Hollinger gearbox and all this stuff. It's not like our car of the futures with the transaxle and all the bits and pieces. It's a, it's quite a simple car. So it's really not that difficult for us to compare to what we normally do. It's basically service the car, make sure that all the oils and everything are all good. Um, you know, make sure obviously the car's got to be ran quite frequently. We'd run most of the cars up every three months just to make sure all the brakes, the master cylinders, the slave cylinders are all got fresh fluid in them and all free. Um, but yeah, basically the normal way you'd prep a, a normal race car, to be quite honest, put it on the, put it on the patch, make sure it's got good, got good tires, brakes and, um, and yeah, just take it out like any other, any other car. Yeah you don't have just any other cars as part of that collection of, of Eggleston Motorsports. How many cars have you got now? Because the cars that you're racing in Super 2, that you have previously raced in Super 2, um, the cars that you're restoring, the cars that you've restored, the other cars you've acquired, how many cars have you got at that place now? Surely you must be bursting at the seams to fit them all in. It's a, there's a couple there. Um, on the last count, it's, uh, it's 20 cars. Uh, 20 V8 supercars, so it's quite a number of uh, of supercars, and they all hold quite good history um, from Bathurst winners to championship winners. There's um, there's five Bathurst winners, five championship winners, um, and uh, some very special cars in amongst them. Absolutely, going all the way back from early early VL the 1990 car all the way up to the latest generation Kof uh, car. So yeah, what's the uh the, the the six well, it's probably not sixty four thousand dollar question. It's probably a little bit more than that. I would have thought. What would it take for someone to buy a car like this, or is there a dollar number that you just could not put on this car, given its um, the effort that's gone into it, the the work that's gone into it, and what it means to to so many race fans and to to Eagleston Motorsport? Well, the been asked that quite a lot in the restoration of this car. There has been a few people come out of the woodwork uh, asking whether the vehicle could be purchased when it's uh, as soon as it's finished. Uh, the the answer right now is is no. The car the car's not actually for sale. Um, a dollar figure on it. Um, I'd have to be. Uh, I'd have to have a good thing about that. That's for sure for a special car like this. But at the moment, the car isn't for sale. Um, and you know, someday later on, if someone else would like to. Uh, Part with a bit of Kanga and uh, basically enjoy the car the way we have um, and stuff like that. Uh, I guess it can can move on at a later date, but definitely not uh, not till all the cars are finished and they can all be put together. And um, yeah, you, you know, never say never, mate. Never say never. We'll put your wallet away, mate. He doesn't want to know about your cash. Sorry, mate. Enough <laughs> Kangas in that wallet. Don't worry about me. <laughs> 
What I was going to ask too, Ben, that I think one of the things that is interesting is it the the moment that one of these cars is finished and it perhaps hits the track or it's just simply finished that is the the ultimate reward or is it finishing it and it's the journey? It's the pathway of months and years to restore it, find the right bits, get the nuances right. Is it the journey that's the reward or the end result that's the reward? Uh, you know, I'd say a bit of both. I mean, the, it's been a great journey of late. We've had a chance to just dedicate all our time and effort onto a few of these cars and just, you know, it was very rewarding to actually put the whole car together in regards to like the engine, the drive line, the suspension and all that stuff and drop it on the deck and you could stand back and just say, wow, like that car's actually it's a car again. You know, I've never seen it as a car until I, since I saw it in 1997. So it was very um, rewarding to have the car sitting on the, on the ground and now obviously um, prepping it for paint and stuff like that. So that's been hugely rewarding, but I think the ultimate one will be once it's painted and the car is um, all assembled and uh, we roll it out at, at Calder or, or wherever it's going to be. And we, you know, fire it up and take it out and see the car actually going through its paces will be, will, will be the most rewarding. I think. Yeah. Are there any remnants visible on the car now, Ben, from the big crash that Todd Kelly had at Eastern Creek in, in 1999, part of the Young Lions program that was run with the Noskies? And he had a huge crash, turn one Eastern Creek in the first round of the championship in, in 99. I think the photos are pretty significant. The right front was completely crumpled. Is there any uh, telltale marks on the car these days from that accident or the, or the repair work after it? Uh, not as such anymore, no. When we purchased the car, it did have some remnants, remnants of, um, of still damage on it. Um, but um, George Smith only knows how to do things one way, and that's absolutely perfect. So George has done an absolute number on this thing, and um, he's done an absolutely exceptional job to, to bring it back exactly how it was. And I remember when George, he finally finished it um, the other day, and he sort of gave it the tick of approval it was was pretty rewarding as well you know Georgie's worked months on it and uh and no there's no no battle scars on it at all it's completely um completely straight and um it's uh it's bang on so yeah after it comes out of paint it'll be uh, be pretty cool you know you can see now obviously it's had a fair bit replaced um, around the floor area and stuff like that where most of the impact was taken in the strut area but all that's been replaced and it's um it's a1 and ready to go mate how do you go about sourcing like panels of that era, like and like not just exterior panels, but also um, like you said, floor pan panels, anything to do those sort of restorations? Because I imagine there's not heaps of stuff like that around, especially I guess VS era aero kits as well. Because I imagine they're all bespoke for the time. Yeah, correct. Um, so we we're very. I was fortunate enough that years ago I did purchase a lot of Holden Motorsport doors. Um, so we had all um, actual Holden Motorsport doors, the actual tin work to go on it, um, the actual body kit. They're all new, and that's done by Larry Fay here in um, in Melbourne, and they were the original people that um, made all that in the day. So. Um, all the front bar, rear bar, side skirts and all that stuff um, has been made all new from the original moulds, actually, that that was, um, that was done back in the day. Um, the fuel cells were carbon as well, the actual fuel cell boxes, that's all been done. And obviously uh, the airbox as well is the same. We had all the moulds for all that. We're very lucky to have the moulds for the airbox, um, the fuel tank and stuff like that. So, yeah, all of those made brand new as they were in the day. 
we've had all the panel fit on the car. Um, it's all been drilled off. George Smith's obviously made all the, all the bracketry for all the panels and stuff like that as they were off the original drawings that I have for all those cars. So it's um, it turned out absolutely perfect and um, that's all done and uh, just waiting for paint now. So it's, it's perfect. How do you go with, with paint, Ben? In, in the past, I guess that's something that you would source out to, to other organisations, but is that something that you can have a bit more control over now? Yeah, and so we're actually getting our own spray booth um, at the moment, and that's uh, we, we did get a couple of cars painted at uh, at Walthamshaw at HRT, like Shazzy 50, there's five car, and that was that was done absolutely beautiful. Um, but for the amount of cars that we've got to do, it just makes a lot more sense to have our own booth in-house that you can basically get a car blasted, it can be repaired, and then it can just be wheeled straight into the booth about 20 metres away, and you get painted and uh, it can get rolled back out and the assembly process can start. So, yeah, we're actually um, in the middle of uh, doing our own booth and this will be one of the first cars to be painted in that booth, yeah. It's an impressive list of cars that you've you've got now and we could be here all day talking about all of them and I know we're focused on one in particular for this episode of the podcast, but where does this lead for you? Obviously, racing's important for Eggleston Motorsport. You've got your Super 2 program that's been very successful over the years with a lot of race wins and title wins and developing a lot of drivers and, and bringing them through as well. But in terms of the restoration and the, I guess the heritage arm of Eggleston Motorsport, is this all leading to the point where you would do these projects for other clients, given you've got the capabilities and the, you know, the spray booth now and, and all of that type of thing, or are you going to stick to just doing your own stuff or will we see you be almost, you're almost like the Holden racing heritage racing team here because you've got so many of, of the cars. What's the end game with all of this? Well, the end game is, yeah, I think um, once, first and foremost, is to get all of our cars finished, get the backlog done of our cars, which that's what we're, we're focused on on now is to really get it, um, really get punched through some of these cars and then have them there finished and um, and obviously get them to the track. Um, yeah, I, I think we would take on a little customer work once um, where we're under control with the way we're going with all our own cars at the moment. We would definitely do some stuff like that if anyone wants a car done done properly and um and the way we do it we definitely look at doing that sort of stuff and um I, I love this era of um of car and i really want to see more of them out there and about and there's all a consensus that a lot of people you know have them and they don't run or they don't use them so i'd love the, the opportunity to run some of my cars at some days and then invite some other people to bring their old cars out of the shed and we can um you know we can help them out in any way to, to you know get, get them out of the shed and get them seen again and um you know, if that needs a little bit of work here or there, well, um, you know, we can help them out with all those bits and pieces. But the, the end game is to finish all our cars first and then, um, and then you know, I like to display them all and use them all and, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll see what the, the future holds with them. Before we go, though, Ben, uh, obviously it's been a strange year, but I like to look at the positives. Had we been racing as per usual, there's no way you would have got all this restoration stuff done and this car wouldn't have been at the, the stage that it's, it's at now. Uh, Super 2 clearly is not going to be at Bathurst. You won't be at Bathurst this year for the first time in many, many years. You're, a, you're an orange boy, so you, you know your way around that part of the region. You've been to the mountain many, many times. Strange sort of a year having an October without being at Bathurst, isn't it? 100% mate first time in 20 years that I won't be trackside at, uh, at the mountain but um, hey that's been the way it, uh, 
this year sort of turned out for everyone, unfortunately, and it's not uh, it's not ideal. But you need to try and take the positives out of uh, this situation if there's any. And um, for us here, it's definitely been. Um, you know, put the, the Super 2 cars, put some covers on them and just focus on some of this and really get into it. And, um, you know, the, these cars really needed to be done and it was um, it was just, just timing the way it worked out. And obviously to be able to grab some guys like George Smith and, um, and some guys to, um, you know, do all that special work that they wouldn't have been able to do in a normal year has been, um, been exceptional to get all this stuff done. So, yep, it's extremely weird. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things and uh, we just need to keep pressing on and hopefully we can get back to some sort of normality and get back to the track when we can. Who's going to be the first person who gets to put their bum in HRT chassis 034 when it goes back on a track? Do you get first call here or do you put Scafi in or who gets the go? Ooh, that's a big call. I don't know. I don't know. It'll be either either. We'll have to see. We'll um, we'll see whose bum fits in the seat the best, I guess, and we'll, um, we'll take it from there. <laughs> Before we go to, uh, we have referenced some of your other cars. We'd love to have you on the podcast another time to to talk a bit more about the, the HRT cars you've got, the Walkinshaw cars, the Triple Eight cars. Uh, you've got some uh, amazing stuff, and I think it's a real credit to you and Rachel and, and everyone involved at EMS who have, have kept this history flowing. And um, obviously here in our little sleuth world, we, we like to, to think that we've contributed a little bit too along the way, but I think uh, what you're doing and, um, the investment that you, you're all making in, in keeping these cars and, and at some point getting them back out for the, the fans to enjoy when we can get back to racetracks is, is really cool. So uh, keep on working hard, keep on finding old cars, keep on putting them back together. And uh, thanks for joining us again. It's been really cool to have a chat about the Brock Scaife 97 Bathurst car. We can't wait to see it back on the track. Perfect, boys. Thanks a lot uh, for having me on. And uh, any time, mate, we'll have a chat about some of these cool rockets. Just uh, drop us a line, no problem. I've got a funny feeling we could chat a lot about a lot of different rockets. There he is, Ben Eggleston on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken. Will Dale, thank you to you for your time today, beaming in from home. Uh, the washing machine turned off just in time for this podcast, so you better go and save the washing now. Uh, in the next few weeks, building up to Bathurst, though, we've got some special episodes coming up. We are going to have a Bathurst quiz with some cool prizes on the line, and no, Ben, you can't enter, okay? Copy. Go here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a good look um, with a Bathurst preview episode as well and run our ruler across the field for this year's super cheap auto Bathurst 1000 and cover off some of the great questions we get asked on socials Will so looking forward to that you better get yourself in the mountain mode it's only a month away I can't wait to actually come up with these trivia questions it was hard enough coming up with 20, 20 just general touring car racing history questions for the last quiz so oh, we'll have some fun we'll have some fun you've got some time to do it. The way we run our quizzes is that we ask the questions uh, via the podcast, so you can only win the prizes if you listen to the podcast. Jump on our website and uh, fill out the form with the the multiple choice answers and and get it in. We will announce the prizes very, very soon, but they will be sensationally significant. A big thank you to, before we sign off for this episode, uh, in the last few days before we recorded this one, we have gone past 500,000 downloads which has been phenomenal since uh what have we been going for will nearly 18 months now uh amazing result thank you to all of our listeners to those who've subscribed provided feedback sent ideas in uh it has been truly phenomenal it's been something that's taken us by surprise and uh thank you to everybody for getting involved uh let's see if we can crank another 500,000 don't you think oh it should be good fun i mean we've had a lot of fun getting that getting that first half a million let's go for the full million yeah, let's go all the way. Hey, thanks again, Ben. Thanks, Will, boys. It's been 
Great to chat on the VHLU podcast powered by Timkin. Join us again in seven days' time when we get our quiz on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll chat to you next week.